Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and I have the privilege of continuing part 10 of our series on the book of James, A Faith That Works. Well, this morning we're looking at this idea of criticizing and judging other people in what James would describe as a truly evil way. And so uh, actually I'm leading this message this morning. And so as we dig into this, what we're gonna see is uh, an examination of our life to figure out do we have evil intentions with the way we treat other people and that can kind of flow from our heart and then james gives us uh, some tools to process this and to move on from it and so as always want to encourage you to go to beartownroad.org events and you'll be able to find there any of the things that we have coming up as a church additionally if you go to beartownroad.org you'll be able to find our family devotional packet which will be a resource to help you as parents disciple your children in a greater way uh, both of those things are actually going to be linked in the description of this podcast so that you can click on it directly and navigate your way there. So without further ado, let's jump into this sermon titled Criticizing God. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Hey, happy Father's Day for those of you dads out there. Um, It's kind of neat to be a dad, right? Uh, And I asked a lot of you this morning how many years you've been a dad, and I think the longest I got was like 60-some years. That's a long time for your kids to put up with you. (laughs) At least that's what I thought. Anyway, hey, so being that it's Father's Day, I couldn't help but show you this picture. So this is my oldest daughter, Catherine. Now, granted, I bragged on my middle daughter, Isabel, last time, so now Catherine gets her opportunity here, okay? So she turned five this past Wednesday, and I knew that I was going to end up being here at the church for most of the day, so Tuesday night, I came up to her, I said, Catherine, I have an idea. Since I'm going to be gone for a while tomorrow, why don't we go get breakfast in the morning instead of, you know, me being able to be here? And she was like, is it a secret? (laughs) I was like, like, yes. (laughs) So she's like, okay, then we won't tell Isabel. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I, to the, did, did, I don't know if Isabel knows we went out. I still think she knows. So I get up in the morning. Right? It's like six o'clock in the morning, and I get myself around. I come out, and Catherine is standing out in our living room, completely ready to go. I'm like, how in the world did you get up, child? Like, this is way before you're supposed to. Anyway, uh, you didn't even know any of that. So, <laughs> um, so we went to this uh, local diner. Now, it was 6.30 in the morning, right? And I didn't really, I mean, I thought it through, I guess. It didn't really matter. But uh, we go into this diner, and I realize pretty immediately that the, the crowd is like 6.30 in the morning diner people, Okay, which is a very unique type of crowd. Um, I wouldn't say that they're, uh, you know, they're kind of, well, not old, seasoned, okay? Most of them were, were really seasoned. I think there was at least one lady doing a crossword puzzle, uh, and, you know, crossword puzzle, word search, she probably had the whole thing. Several people reading magazines, way, way, way too many suspenders on people in there, uh, and a lot of overalls with flannel. And so um, I, I say that to tell you this. I was later reflecting on my time uh, having breakfast with Catherine that morning, And I realized, like, I got to the church, and I was just sitting kind of thinking about things, and I realized that without really noticing it, I had drawn a lot of conclusions about all the people that were in that diner. Um, I, you know, when we walked in there, again, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but 
I drew conclusions about all those seasoned folks <laughs> that were in there. And, um, you know, I was saying, okay, what sorts of things am I thinking here? What was I thinking? It pretty much was that most of them were, you know, didn't have anything better to do besides do crossword puzzles and drink coffee at a diner at 6.30 in the morning, probably because they went to bed at, you know, 7 o'clock the night before, <laughs> or whatever, you know, these stereotypes might be. But the bottom line is I drew conclusions about those people before I, I didn't know anything about them. There could have been like three or four astrophysicists in there, and I wouldn't have known it. I would have just assumed they all were farmers. I mean, it's Tauga County, so it's not like, you know, that's unreasonable. Anyway, so I want to do this ex... <laughs> Wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> okay, so I want to do this exercise with you, okay? I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen, and I want you to think, don't say out loud, please. <laughs> I just want you to think about the first thing that pops in your head when you see these different pictures, okay? Here's the first one. Maybe here's the first one. All right, whoops. Now you saw the second one too, son of a gun. Okay, what's the first thing that pops in your head when you see this guy? I think a lot of you might think a guy with passion like that is what led me to Christ and why I'm here today, right? But I think others of you are like, well, that's actually the reason I haven't been in church in like 20 years, you know, very seriously. How about this pastor? Man, not that one. I keep giving stuff away. How about this pastor here? That guy's name is Stephen Furtick. He is the pastor of Elevation Church, which is a lot of the music that we sing here. But, you know, he's not... Not in a suit and tie, he's kind of muscular as people like him tend to be. He probably works out four or five hours every day, right? But he's, you know, he's strong, he's good looking. You know, lots of things pop into our head. And then how about this guy? Yeah, probably, I would assume most people, it's relatively a negative thing. But a lot of people may have heard Joel Steen's uh, teachings, and that's what could have, like, sparked the flame to considering Christianity at all. It's very possible. Okay, how about this guy here? Successful businessman, happy, good-looking, suit, right? Looks like he's having a good time. Maybe others of you are thinking that, um, well, he's just, a, he's just a businessman, and I have bad relationships with them. I don't feel like I could live up to their standard. Oh, this dude here. I kind of, when I see that, I think, I wish I could do that type of work because, like, whatever he's working on seems pretty complex, and I have no idea. But others of you may see this and go, thank goodness I don't have to do that type of work. Like, I get to use my mind, whereas he's got to use whatever type of trade he has. And then this next one here, how about this? Maybe the easiest one to stereotype, okay, like used car salesman, but, like, the really bad kind. I think of Danny DeVito when I see this. Um, yeah, you know, it's pretty bad. He's like using the drill to turn back the odometer. Um, however, very seriously, some of you have a car because somebody like this could get you one, right? Because it says, uh, no job, no problem, for real. Uh, and again, there's different experiences that we all have. How about these college graduates? Working hard, going through school, finally finishing up, off into the real world. They're going to be the ones that are changing the future of engineering and medicine and all these different things. But some of us might think, yeah, those are the people that are the problem because they're the ones causing all the whining and they're the entitled ones and they want this and they want that. Again, it's just, you know, what pops into your head initially when you see these things. Okay, this guy's got a mullet. And I would not like to talk about that too much because it's 2021. Uh, so those of you from the 80s who are like, yes, that's awesome, just don't tell people, okay? Though someone this morning told me that mullets are coming back. And my mom's a beautician. She's shaking her head yes. 
we need to like veto that somehow, okay? Please, I don't want to see that. Okay, and how about this? This is a bit different, right? This is a place. What comes into your mind when you see this church? Small town, loving, really good things, maybe some not so good things. We all have experiences. And how about this here? What about this church? Completely different. Probably a renovated warehouse, you know, with like steel beams and all that sort of stuff. Completely different experience there, right? So here's the deal. We all have a tendency to judge everything around us. Uh, It's just true. When we walk into a room, when we go somewhere, when we see something, we have the ability to draw conclusions about those things. It's it's just part of, uh, of being human, okay? We've been given a gift by God to see things and to draw conclusions about them and to make observations about them. It's part of how God made us with the ability to to evaluate different things in our world. And so why? Why is it that we have these abilities and what goes into our processing when we see something, when we start to draw conclusions? So here's a list. I think our experiences, the things we've been through, Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, our experiences really determine a lot about how we interpret the things around us. And our convictions, uh, a good example for convictions is that when you think that the family next door isn't quite as good as you because they don't eat dinner around the table every night, right? That's usually like a conviction that you have that we really should do this. Or vice versa, oh, they're stuck in their tradition and we're, you know, more progressed. We can do things differently, our biases, I think biases are really important because biases usually are behind the scenes. So we end up interpreting things, judging things, criticizing things, um, and we don't even know why we're doing it. For instance, if you grew up in a really politically conservative home, then what happens is that kind of becomes ingrained in your mind and in the way that you process. And literally, without even knowing it, the things that you read and see are just swayed in that interpretation. And the opposite is true, too. If you grew up in like a politically uh, liberal home, then what happens is the way you think and the way you process, when you see news, when you read about things, what happens is it ends up coming through the light of how you were brought up. And biases just tend to be really unknown. Emotions, we all know people who get angry uh, about things and it they interpret everything around them as if it's bad. And we all know people who are in a new relationship and they're lovey-dovey and the world is fine and it's like, you know, a bad burrito could look like it was the best meal in the world, right? So our emotions can, can impact stuff. Our beliefs Uh, that's really important as well, like the things that you believe, like about the Bible, about the church, about other people, you know, that impacts us. And then our insecurities. And insecurities are interesting because um, that's kind of like when we begin to compensate in the other direction. Like if you have a boss that's really like an overlord, and you feel like I can never live up to this boss's standard or to his level of success. And so what that causes you is to like shrink back and to not... Uh, to, you know, just feel insecure. And so you're judging your boss, you judge your workplace, you judge your, you know, the other people that you're working with. Or for those of you that have a team that works under you and you feel like, I hope they don't find out I got problems too and that I'm insecure and I have family struggles and marriage struggles. And uh, you then overcompensate there by being like having an extra heavy hand or by being rude or mean to your associates, whatever it might be. 
But I want to bring up this last one because I think that when, when push comes to shove, this is where things kind of start to go wrong. And that's with our pride. Pride, in my opinion, is the foundation of every single sin that every single one of us struggles with. It was the first sin, really. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were told by God that this is what's good and evil. And Adam and Eve said, no, we want to determine what's good and evil. And their pride caused them to disobey God, right? And then sin entered the picture. And with pride, I think what happens is our ability to make observations, which is a God-given gift to us, is then corrupted. And then we end up generally functioning out of a place of criticism and not out of a place of doing good things and of calling people up. So it, it causes me to ask this question, is it wrong to judge? Again, God gave us this ability. He gave us the ability to look at people and to look at things and to draw conclusions. And that happens all the time. Like if you think of your flight or fight response, you will instinctively judge if a scenario is dangerous or is going to be a problem. And that causes a reaction within you. You know, so that's obviously, that's not going to be bad. When you're trying to evaluate where you fit in in a crowd, that's not necessarily bad. But where it goes bad is when sin enters the picture and then we look at things critically. So just think about all those pictures we looked at. How many of, how many of the things when you saw them, a negative, a negative thought went through your mind? What about the people that were uh, not the best drivers on the road this morning? What do you think about them? What about the people with various body shapes that are in this building? When you saw them, did you, did you check yourself to see how you measured up to the people around you? Or people with, uh, you know, having a bad hair day, right? Did you look at them and be like, oh, they couldn't even put themselves together? Why do we so quickly go to the negative when we judge people? It's just, it seems to be that's what we do. And uh, I think it's ultimately because of our pride. And isn't this true that judging others... Judging others can be mentally and emotionally and physically hurtful. If you have ever judged somebody or gossiped about somebody or criticized somebody behind their back, and then they found out, and you have that sinking, horrible feeling in your gut, like, I wish I would never would have said anything, then you know this is true. If you've ever been spoken about behind your back and you find out somebody, maybe even that you trusted or loved, has been speaking about you, then you know this is true as well because it just crushes you. It's just really, really bad. And I want to I clarify this because this is, this is important. There is a difference between, between different types of judging. A good friend of mine always put it this way. You can call somebody out and condemn them, if you will. Or you can call somebody up and try to help them take a next step, try to help them to become better. So we're not talking about calling people up to greatness or to goodness. We're not talking about discipleship, where as a brother or sister in Christ, I come up to you and I say, listen, this thing I'm seeing in your life is a real problem, and I think that you need to change it if you want to see your relationship with the Lord get better, if you want to have a better marriage, if, you're, you know, if you want to have a better relationship with your kids. Those things are wholesome. Those things are good. That's the type of judging that, that God gave us the ability to help each other. But when you call people out, that's what we're talking about. And it can be 
seriously, seriously hurtful. And so let's jump in here. So we're in part 10 of this series on the book of James. And uh, we've talked about through the book of James a whole lot of things, uh, such as how to, how to live a godly life, how to evaluate whether or not we're godly, whether we're walking appropriately with the Lord. We've talked about how to know if our faith is genuine. You know, James, uh, he says, and we'll talk about this bit, a bit more later, he's like, some people say you have works and I have faith, but he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. He talks about our tongue being like a rudder or the rudder, a tiny rudder that steers a ship or a spark that sets a whole forest on fire. You know, and so these are really good teachings that James has given us. And today he's talking about this idea of gossip and criticizing each other and judging each other. So in James chapter 4, verse 11, this is what we see. He starts out, he basically summarizes this short passage of scripture. He says, don't speak evil against each other. And this idea of speaking evil is malicious talk and slandering, destructive words, and straight-up heinous speech. Like, evil is like everything you would think of when you say evil. Not bad, not edgy, but like evil, okay? And James says, don't speak that against each other. Now, I mean, honestly, the last time I gossiped about somebody, I certainly wasn't thinking I was speaking these sorts of things to them, like really bad, like destructive things. I just, didn't, I just don't think that, right? Well, James, he follows up. Um, oh, also, you know, he's saying this, brothers and sisters, which means he's speaking to the church, which means there's some sort of a problem going on where James is telling the church and uh, in the future tense, like to us today, that we shouldn't speak evil against each other. So this is actually told to us. This isn't just, um, you know, to random strangers or to the world, though it does apply to that. We're talking about like to each other, okay? Um, he goes on to say this, that if you criticize and judge each other, and criticizing and judging is what we're talking about. He literally says that that criticism and that judging is what it means to speak evil. That's why I say, like, I generally don't think, like, when I talk bad about somebody that um, I'm speaking evil against them. But the bottom line is that that's what we're doing. So when we see somebody that's walking on the streets that's all dirty, probably a drug addict or probably whatever, and the thing that goes through our mind is, how could they possibly live a lifestyle like that? That's ridiculous. To James, what he says is, you've just spoken evil over that person. Okay, so you guys see this connection. Like, it's really bad when we criticize, when we judge each other. Remember, we're not talking about helping each other to know the Lord better. We're not talking about giving a word of encouragement to call somebody up out of sin or, or whatever it might be. And this, this idea of judging is like, it's not just um, not like a judge on a magistrate, right? This is accusing or condemning, assuming authority, and it's always directed outwards. In other words, it's that you are now above and you are looking down on a scenario and you're casting judgment upon it. That's what this means. It means that you have become better than whatever the thing is that you're judging and criticizing. So effectively, what James says is that when you criticize and judge each other, that you are putting yourself on a platform above them. And he emphasizes this. He says, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. 
He makes this like a really big deal. Not only are you putting your plat- yourself on a platform above others, you're actually putting yourself on a platform above God himself. And we'll explain this idea a little bit more as we move forward. So this is like, this is pretty bad. And he says, you know, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether or not it applies to you. Your job is to listen to the words of Jesus, to the law that we've been given, and to obey what it says. Your job is not to put yourself on a pedestal and crush people down. I don't care who it is. And James doesn't care who it is. He says, because when you do that, you've assumed authority over God's law itself. And that's, that's a pretty bad thing. And you're saying that it doesn't apply to you. So bottom line is this. When we criticize others, we're saying that we know better than God. That's how this results. When we gossip about somebody, when we say something bad about somebody behind their back, when we post a meme on Facebook that's offensive and cruel, we're saying, I know better than God. Or at least that's what James says it's like. He goes on, he says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He's like, are you kidding me? You, you don't know. God gave the law. And then this, uh, this brings this statement into my mind, only God can judge me. How many of you have heard that, right? You, usually it's said with this idea of, uh, well, only God can judge me, so back off, because God knows my motive, motivations, he knows my history, he knows my past, he knows what I've been through, and so only God can judge me. So why, why do you think you can judge me? We, we usually say this kind of with this like arrogant smugness, like, hey, listen, I want to, you know, Oh, that's going to be a bad example. Uh, I want to do something that other people will not approve of, right? And then you say, only God can judge me, so I can do what I want. But then James says this, he alone has the power to save or destroy. So then this brings into a factor of like anxiety, right? Because it's like, oh, shoot. God knows my motivations, he knows my history, he knows why I did something, and he has the power also to save and to destroy. Like, that's a really big deal, that God has the authority and the ability to look at you and to save you or to destroy you if he desires to. And so he says, you know, so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Why? What, what right do you think you have above and beyond God who's the only one who can effectively judge? You know, and so that's why it's here. When we criticize others, we're saying we're, we're better than God or that we know more than God. And uh, we don't know everything. We don't. When we judge people, when we criticize people, we do it from our limited experience, from our limited knowledge. We do it from our own perspective, from our own biases, from our own emotions, from our own perspective, everything, right? But there's so much more that's going on behind the scenes. We especially don't know more than God. And when we judge each other, when we speak harshly, when you, when you say something about the person sitting next to you, or you say something about that person driving a car that's really being rude on the road, or you say something about a family member who's gone like off the deep end, or when you say something about whatever, what you're doing is you're saying, I can stand in God's place and judge here. I know enough about this, and I know the motivations enough to replace God in having the ability to condemn that person or to condemn that thing, or as James says, to speak evil about that thing. But we simply don't know everything. And so I have an example to share with you that I think will kind of help 
wrap our heads around. So this, this girl's name is Katherine Schultz. Katherine is a very, um, she, she's a really good writer. She writes for the New Yorker. She's, pri- uh, she's won a lot of different writing prizes. Like she's really good at what she does. And so she gave this TED talk years ago in like 2011 that when I heard it was like super inspiring to me. I thought it was really cool. And she tells this story of being in Rhode Island during her undergraduate um, in journalism. And during the summer, her and her friend decided that they were going to take a road trip from Rhode Island all the way to the state of Oregon. Now, that's a really, really long way, okay? It's like all the way across the country. And they decided to take a lot of time while they were doing this. And so they decided to go basically every back road that they could all the way across the country until they got there. So they went through a lot of like national forests, national parks, all these different places. And along the way, she says that she kept seeing this Chinese symbol. And she's like, I cannot figure out what in the world this Chinese symbol is. She was seeing it all over the place for like these thousand plus miles that they were driving. And finally, she worked up the courage. She felt kind of like, I I cannot figure out what this Chinese symbol means. So she worked up the courage. She turned to her friend and she said, what in the world is this Chinese symbol that I'm seeing all over the place? And her friend looks at her and she's like, what Chinese symbol? What are you talking about? There's been a Chinese symbol. She's like, yeah, there's, there's definitely been one. And so it wasn't too long before they came across another one. And her friend was like, Oh, my goodness. And this was the, the symbol that came up. <laughs> yeah, so that is, the, uh, that is the Chinese symbol for picnic area. <laughs> right? And, and so here's the thing. She, she, asked, she asked this question. She says, what does it feel like to be wrong? What does it feel like to be wrong? Somebody yell out, what does it feel like when you're wrong about something? Embarrassing. Embarrassing. What else? What else does it feel like? Shame, yeah, shame. Embarrassment, shame. Well, this is, this is the point that she was trying to make in this, in this TED Talk that she elaborates on. When you feel embarrassment, when you feel shame, when you feel a hit to your pride, she claims that's actually what it feels like to find out that you're wrong. That's not what it feels like when you are wrong. Because when you are wrong, you don't know it. And when, when you're wrong, it feels like being right. There's, it's indistinguishable. And so when we criticize people, when we judge people, God is looking at that and going, you have no idea. Even the Proverbs in, in, in the Bible, the Proverbs say that one side of an argument seems convincing until you hear the counter argument. And then it's like, oh, I'm not so sure. Right? We've all heard two sides of a story. We hear one side, and it's like, wow, that's ridiculous. Right? We, get, we get upset, we get frustrated, then we go to a person, and then we find out, oh, yeah, that was only one side. Uh, famous statement, right? Takes two to tango. I have no idea who said that initially, but it does. It takes, it takes two people, and there's always more than one perspective, and we all have vantage points. Well, I'll tell you a story. I uh, delivered furniture for quite a while, and one time we were, my partner and I, we were bringing this beautiful leather sofa into this home that I probably never could have even dreamed of affording, right? It was just absolutely gorgeous. So we take this sofa off of our truck. We walk it in, and the customer says, I want this in this really, really specific spot. And so we put it down there, and the thing is immaculate, right? We go back out to our truck and grab a couple more items, and we walk back in, and immediately we noticed that the sofa is about two feet away from where we put it down. 
And then the customer is all upset. He's like, you brought me a broken sofa. Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? We just carried that thing in. It was fine. And lo and behold, where the sofa was slid two feet, that arm that was pulled broke right off. And it was, it was broken. And it was just dangling there, held together by a few, a few pieces of foam and some leather. And we're like, okay, for sure, that was not broken 60 seconds ago when we went in. However, even though I had that vantage point, my partner had that vantage point to know we did not do this. Our service manager ended up holding us accountable for it. So not only did we lose pay, we lost incentives, we lost time. And I was like, you got to be, that's not fair. We didn't break this. And the service manager's like, I can't prove that you didn't break it. The customer says when you brought it in, it was broken, and you just finished that narrative. And I was like, that's not fair, because I had a vantage point that was way better than that service manager's. To know that's not fair. Why do I have to take that? Right? And, and so we all have vantage points in different ways where we feel like people just don't understand, but God understands. And that's why it's so dangerous when we judge each other, because God is the only one with the appropriate vantage point. And again, we have the ability to leverage our God-given gift of observing for good or for these evil purposes. And so how did James arrive at this conclusion? How did he all of a sudden say, like, okay, when you criticize and when you judge people, you're actually putting yourself on a pedestal above God. You're looking down on the law of God itself. And it has to do with what Jesus actually said when he was here on earth. Uh, Some religious elite were coming up to Jesus and trying to trap him into saying something that was not true or that was just a little bit false so that they could basically use that against him. And so one of the religious elite came up to him and said, and said uh, you know, Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? What's the most important commandment? And so Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Now, there is one right answer. Un- like undeniably, there was a right answer to this question. But Jesus' teaching seemed to go a bit against this right answer. But Jesus got uh, 100% on this test because he said, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This to the Hebrew people is what was called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew meant to listen and obey. And often God, when he gave his law, he would say Shema, Israel. Listen and obey my command. And so they would actually, the the Hebrew people would repeat this line very often at night, in the morning, with their families in gatherings to remind them that we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then, as if out of left field, Jesus says this, the second is equally important. Now remember, I said there was one right answer to the question that they were asking him. But this introduces another one. And everyone's like, well, what? What could possibly be? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus himself puts loving your neighbor up here and loving God the same level. 
And I think what's interesting is, remember, James said, um, you say, some people say, you have works, but I have faith. But I'll show you my faith by my works. I think you could kind of fit Jesus' teaching here into that same pattern. You say, some people love people, but I love God. Well, I'll show you my love for God by my love for people. And that's why James says this. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law itself. Because when you criticize somebody, you're elevating yourself above them and saying, I know better than you. Or at the very least, you're expressing that evil towards them. And Jesus says, if you express evil towards them, then you're better than them. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not loving God. And if you're choosing not to do that, you're putting yourself above all of the commandments that he gives us. And that, like we said before, that causes a lot of pain in our lives. Not only your life, but in the lives of people you talk against. It causes confusion. It ends up festering within ourselves and becoming something that is despicable, that we don't like, that we have this mentality all the time of criticism and of hate and of judgment. I'll just say this. If, if you post something on social media that is designed to express frustration and anger and put anybody down, odds are that you're putting yourself on a pedestal above God. Because what you're saying is my vantage point is perfect. Or, at a minimum, that, that you're not going to love the people who would disagree with you. And again, I'm not talking about calling up. Because that sort of judgment is one thing where we help each other. That sort of judgment is one thing where we say, I love you so much that I want to give you life or help you experience life in a greater way. But it's calling out. It's causing other people to be condemned. It's promoting ourselves by pushing them down. Our job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to us. This, this, is, a simple, this is a simple thing. Jesus says, you know what? Or James says, you know what? Our job is to obey. And again, when we criticize others, we're saying we know better than God. We criticize others. We're saying we know better than God. Uh, you know, a thought that comes to mind with this is that if we don't kind of judge people or criticize people or however we justify that in our own minds, if we don't do that, then we kind of give people a free pass. We basically condone what they're doing if we don't criticize what they're doing. And that's like in every arena, with our spouses, with our children, with our church, with our family, with our friends, within politics, within social groups, within our workplaces, within anywhere. It seems like, okay, if I don't criticize it and judge it and beat it down, then that means I'm giving it a pass and I'm condoning it. That's not the case. In fact, when you choose not to speak, when you choose not to gossip, when you choose not to listen to somebody gossip behind their back, when you choose not to make that social media post, when you choose whatever, you fill in the blank, what you're actually doing is surrendering that to God and saying, God, I actually trust that you know better in this scenario than I know. 
and that, quite frankly, you have the ability to save and you have the ability to destroy. And so you hold the keys of actually holding accountable these things that could potentially be horrible. You have the ability to hold evil accountable truly, which is so much better than us putting ourselves on a pedestal and condemning and pushing down. It's an act of trust in the character of God to choose not to criticize and to judge each other. So trying to figure this out, what in the world do we do if we've found ourselves in this like vortex of judging people in a negative way all the time? Because again, God gave us the ability to draw observations, but a spirit-led way of observing people and things and activities and places is very different than a flesh-led sinful way of doing that. So the first thing is we need to examine your life. Think about it honestly. This is not a time for defensiveness. It's a time to go, okay, when I see this person in this place, this is what goes through my mind. Is it grace or is it judgment? I love, uh, you know, that Jesus says, you know, who, who, for who much has been forgiven, you know, they'll extend forgiveness that much more. But whoever's been forgiven a little can, can sometimes not understand how to forgive more than just a little bit. So some of you are like, yeah, I understand that. Like, I've been forgiven this huge, massive amount of, of sin. I'll do whatever I can do to just extend that to other people. But some of us are caught in another cycle. And so I think you need to ask somebody that can be honest and transparent with you and have the freedom to speak into your life and say, on a regular basis, what what is the way I communicate about the people around me? What's the way I do that? And then just listen. Give that person freedom to tell you the truth. Give that person permission to speak hard truth to you. And then as if uh, it would be this simple, turn away from sin. You know, after that person has revealed this in your life or has helped you see it or you've just been, you know what, God, I'm just going to be honest. This is, this is something I do. This isn't right. Choose to turn away from that. The best way to do that is to make a pre-decision before you find yourself in a scenario that you're going to judge people or that you're going to criticize somebody else or put them down. Um, you need to pre-decide, when I see a person that is enter trigger here, right? Dress sloppily, has, you know, whose hair is a mess or who's, you know, it looks like a drug addict or who's smoking or who's doing whatever it is that you feel is negative. When you see that person, I'm going to choose to not say anything and I will try to pray for them and say, God, I'm going to trust you that you can actually help them, but that ultimately you'll hold them accountable. Or you might have to avoid various scenarios that you find yourself criticizing and judging people in. You might have to avoid news outlets or locations or businesses or TV shows or whatever it might be. You might have to choose to say, I don't even have the self-control to contain my criticism and my judgment of other people when I watch this or when I'm whatever. Just decide to turn away from it. Because when we do that, what happens is our hearts become free. And then lastly, in order to do that, we got to find accountability. Like, we need people to regularly look at us and go, what you just said was, quite frankly, like, inappropriate. Like, I don't think that that was loving. You, you are judging them, and you don't know their scenario. 
You know, have somebody that can say one thing and you know what they're implying is that, um, you know, you shouldn't have said that or that was inappropriate so you can check your heart. Um, let me encourage you with this. We talk as a church a lot about taking our next steps with Jesus. Some of us are filled with hurt and anger and frustration that we feel like we just can't get past. It's like I can't go anywhere with Jesus because I'm just feeling this anger within me all the time, just this seething frustration. And I think that making the decision to ask God to not only forgive you from that, but to help you speak life and hope and joy into other people will help you push through that and help you know Jesus in a much greater way. And collectively as a church, if I know that every single one of you has my back and you wouldn't speak bad about me, but you would talk to me if you had something bad to say, and likewise, if every single one of you had everybody's back as a church, we would grow so much. We'd have confidence and peace and security knowing that I'm truly in a place that's experiencing unconditional love and grace and acceptance. It doesn't mean being dumb and not being safe with the decisions we make, but it means expressing the grace and forgiveness that Jesus gave us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you died on that cross 2,000 years ago and you looked ahead to our future and you said actually nothing. You just you stayed on that cross and said, I'm going to forgive I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to suffer this punishment for sin. And then you extended that grace and mercy to us. So we thank you that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you for your salvation, for your forgiveness. And I pray that we would show that to the people around us. We would express trust in you, that you are the only good judge. And that you would free our hearts that are held back by our criticism and judgment of other people. And we'd submit ourselves to obeying you. Because like James says, our job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to us. So would you fill us with hope? Would you fill us with encouragement? Would you fill us with kindness and mercy so that we can know you and love you more? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, I hope that that message was challenging to you. I know as I was thinking through this and studying the scripture, it was very convicting and challenging to me. So find somebody to help you evaluate your heart, evaluate your life, so you can turn away from criticism and judgment and then have somebody to help hold you accountable as well. And so until we're together again, thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.